Ulysses, section 14b. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. To revert to Mr. Bloom, who, after his first entry, had been conscious of some impudent mocks which he however had borne with as being the fruits of that age upon which it is commonly charged that it knows not pity. The young sparks, it is true, were as full of extravagancies as overgrown children. The words of their tumultuary discussions were difficultly understood, and not often nice. Their testiness and outrageous moe were such that his intellects resiled from. Nor were they scrupulously sensible of the properties through their fund of strong animal spirits spoke in their behalf. But the word of Mr. Costello was an unwelcome language for him, for he nauseated the wretch that seemed to him a crop-eared creature of misshapen gibberosity, born out of wedlock, and thrust like a crookback, toothed and feet first into the world, which the dint of the surgeon's pliers in his skull lent indeed a color to, so as to put him in thought of that missing link of creation's chain, desiderated by the late ingenious Mr. Darwin. It was now for more than the middle span of our allotted years that he had passed through the thousand vicissitudes of existence, and, being of a wary ascendancy, and self a man of rare forecast, he had enjoined his heart to repress all motions of a rising collar, and, by intercepting them with readiest precaution, foster within his breast that plenitude of sufferance which base minds jeer at, rash judgers scorn, and all find tolerable and but tolerable. To those who create themselves wits at the cost of feminine delicacy, a habit of mind which he never did hold with, to them he would concede neither to bear the name nor to inherit the tra tradition of a proper breeding, while for such that, having lost all forbearance, can lose no more, there remained the sharp antidote of experience to cause their insolency to beat a precipitate and inglorious retreat. Not but what he could feel with meddlesome youth which, caring not for the mouths of dotards or the gruntlings of the severe, is ever, as the chaste fancy of the holy writer expresses it, for eating of the tree forbid it yet not so far forth as to pretermit humanity upon any condition soever towards a gentlewoman when she was about her lawful occasions. To conclude, while from the sister's words he had reckoned upon a speedy delivery, he was, however, it must be owned, not a little alleviated by the intelligence that the issue so auspicated after an ordeal of such duress now testified once more to the mercy as well as to the bounty of the supreme being. Accordingly, he broke his mind to his neighbor, saying that, to express his notion of the thing, his opinion, who ought not perchance to express one, was that one must have a cold constitution and a frigid genius not to be rejoiced by this freshest news of the fruition of her confinements, since she had been in such pain through no fault of hers. The dressy young blade said it was her husband's that put her in that expectation, or at least it ought to be, unless she were another Ephesian matron. I must acquaint you, said Mr. Crothers, clapping on the table so as to evoke a resonant comment of emphasis, Old Glory Alleluia Room was round again today, an elderly man with dundrearies, preferring through his nose a request to have a word of Wilhelmina, my life, as he calls her. I bade him hold himself in readiness, for that the event would burst anon. Slife, I'll be round with you. I cannot but extol the virile potency of the old bucko that could still knock another child out of her. All fell to praising of it, each after his own fashion though the same young blade held with his former view that another than her conjugial had been the man in the gap, a clerk in orders, a link-boy, virtuous, or an itinerant vendor of articles needed in every household. Singular, communed the guest with himself, the wonderfully unequal faculty of metempsychosis possessed by them, 
that the puerperal dormitory and the dissecting theater should be the seminaries of such frivolity, that the mere acquisition of academic titles should suffice to transform in a pinch of time these votaries of levity into exemplary practitioners of an art which most men, anywise eminent, have esteemed the noblest. But, he further added, it is mayhap to relieve the pent-up feelings that in common oppress them, for I have observed more than once that birds of a feather laugh together. But with what fitness, let it be asked of the noble lord, his patron, has this alien, whom the concession of a gracious prince has admitted to civic rights, constituted himself the lord paramount of our internal polity? Where is now the gratitude which loyalty should have counseled? During the recent war, whenever the enemy had a temporary advantage with his granados, did this traitor to his kind not seize the moment to discharge his peace against the empire of which he is a tenant at will, while he trembled for the security of his four percents? Has he forgotten this, as he forgets all benefits received? Or is it that from being a deluder of others he has become at last his own dupe, as he is, if report belie him not, his own and his only enjoyer? Far be it from candor to violate the bedchamber of a respectable lady the daughter of a gallant major, or to cast the most distant reflections upon her virtue, but if he challenges attention there, as it was indeed highly his interest not to have done, then it be so. Unhappy woman, she has been too long and too persistently denied her legitimate prerogative to listen to his objurgations with any other feeling than the derision of the desperate. He says this, a censor of morals, a very pelican in his piety, who did not scruple, oblivious of the ties of nature, to attempt illicit intercourse with a female domestic drawn from the lowest strata of society. Nay, had the hussy's scouring-brush not been her tutelary angel, if it had gone with her as hard as with Hagar, the Egyptian. In the question of the grazing lands his peevish asperity is notorious, and in Mr. Cuff's hearing brought upon him from an indignant rancher a scathing retort, couched in terms as straightforward as they were bucolic. It ill becomes him to preach that gospel. Has he not nearer home a seed-field that lies fallow for the want of a plowshare? A habit reprehensible at puberty is second nature and an opprobrium in middle life. If he must dispense his balm of Gilead in nostrums and apothegms of dubious taste to restore to health a generation of unfledged profligates, let his practice consist better with the doctrines that now engross him. His marital breast is the repository of secrets which decorum is reluctant to adduce. The lewd suggestions of some faded beauty may console him for a consort neglected and debauched, but this new exponent of morals and healers of ills is at his best an exotic tree which, when rooted in its native orient, throve and flourished and was abundant in balm, but, transplanted to a clime more temperate, its roosts have lost their quondam vigor, while the stuff that comes away from it is stagnant, acid, and inoperative. The news was imparted with a circumspection recalling the ceremonial usage of the sublime port by the second female infirmarian to the junior medical officer in residence, who in his turn announced to the delegation that an heir had been born. When he had betaken himself to the woman's apartment to assist at the prescribed ceremony of the afterbirth, in the presence of the Secretary of State for Domestic Affairs and the members of the Privy Council, silent in unanimous exhaustion and approbation the delegates, chafing under the length and solemnity of their vigil, and hoping that the joyful occurrence would palliate a license which the simultaneous absence of Abigail and obstetrician rendered the easiest, broke out at once into a strife of tongues. In vain, the voice of Mr. Canvasser Bloom was heard endeavoring to urge, to mollify, to refrain. The moment was too propitious for the display of that discursiveness which seemed the only bond of union among tempers so divergent. 
Every phase of the situation was successfully eviscerated. The prenatal repugnance of uterine brothers, the caesarean section, posthumity with respect to the father and, that rarer form, with respect to the mother, the fratricidal case known as the child's murder and rendered memorable by the impassioned plea of Mr. Advocate Bush, which secured the acquittal of the wrongfully accused, the rights of primogeniture and king's bounty touching twins and triplets, miscarriages and infanticides, simulated or dissimulated, the acardiac fetus in fetu and a prosopia due to a congestion, the agnathia of certain chinless Chinamen, cited by Mr. Candidate Mulligan, in consequence of defective reunion of the maxillary knobs along the medial line so that, as he said, one ear could hear what the other spoke, the benefits of anesthesia or twilight sleep, the prolongation of labor pains in advanced gravidity by region of pressure on the vein, the premature relentment of the amniotic fluid, as exemplified in the actual case, with consequent peril of sepsis to the matrix, artificial insemination by means of syringes, involution of the womb consequent upon menopause, the problem of the perpetration of the species in the case of females impregnated by delinquent rape, that distressing manner of deliber delivery called by the Brandenburgers Sturzgewirt, the recorded instances of multiseminal, twi-kindled, and monstrous births conceived during the catamenic period, or of consanguinous parents, in a word, all the cases of human nativity which Aristotle has classified in his masterpiece, with chromolithographic illustrations. The gravest problems of obstetrics and forensic medicine were examined with as much animation as the most popular beliefs on the state of pregnancy, such as forbidding to a gravid woman to step over a country style, lest, by her movement, the navel cord should strangle her creature, and the injunction upon her in the event of a yearning, ardently and ineffectually entertained, to place her hand against that part of her person which long usage has consecrated as the seat of castigation. The abnormalities of hair lip, breast mole, supernumerary digits, Negro's inkle, strawberry mark, and port wine stain were alleged by one as a prima facie, a natural hypothetical explanation of those swine-headed, the case of Madame Gristle Stevens was not forgotten, or dog-haired infants occasionally born. The hypothesis of a plasmic memory, advanced by the Caledonian envoy, and worthy of the metaphysical traditions of the land he stood for, envisioned in such cases an arrest of embryonic development at some stage antecedent to the human. An outlandish delegate sustained against both these views, with such heat as almost carried conviction, the theory of copulation between women and the males of brutes, his authority being his own avouchment in support of fables, such as that of the Minotaur, which the genius of the elegant Latin poet has handed down to us in the pages of his Metamorphoses. The impression made by his words was immediate but short-lived. It was effaced as easily as it had been evoked by an allocution from Mr. Candidate Mulligan, in that vein of pleasantry which none better knew than he how to affect, postulating as the supremest object of desire a nice, clean old man. Contemporaneously, a heated argument having arisen between Mr. Delegate Madden and Mr. Candidate Lynch regarding the juridical and theological dilemma created in the event of one Siamese twin predeceasing the other, the difficulty by mutual consent was referred to Mr. Canvasser Bloom for instance submittal to Mr. Coadjutor Deacon Dedalus. Hitherto silent, whether the better to show by preternatural gravity that curious dignity of the garb which with he was invested, or in obedience to an inward voice, he delivered briefly, and, some thought, perfunctorily, the ecclesiastical ordinance forbidding man to put asunder what God has joined. But Malachias's tale began to freeze them with horror. He conjured up the scene before them. The secret panel beside the chimney slid back, and in the recess appeared, Haines! 
Which of us did not feel his flesh creep? He had a portfolio full of Celtic literature in one hand, in the other a file marked Poison. Surprise, horror, loathing were depicted on all faces while he eyed them with a ghostly grin. I anticipated some such reception, he began with an eldritch laugh, for which, it seems, history is to blame. Yes, it is true. I am the murderer of Samuel Childs. And how I am punished! The Inferno has no terrors for me. This is the appearance is on me. Terror and ages, what way would I be resting at all, he muttered thickly, and I tramping Dublin this while back with my share of songs and himself after me like the Soth or a Bolivarus. My hell, and Ireland's, is in this life. It is what I tried to obliterate my crime. Distractions, rook-shooting, the heiress language, he recited some. Laudanum, he raised the vial to his lips. Camping out. In vain. His specter stalks me. Dope is my only hope. Ah, destruction! The Black Panther! With a cry he suddenly vanished and the panel slid back. An instant later his head appeared in the door opposite and said, Meet me at Westland Row Station at ten past eleven. He was gone. Tears gushed from the eyes of the dissipated host. The seer raised his hand to heaven, murmuring, The vendetta of Mananon, the sage repeated, Lex Talionis. The sentimentalist is he who would enjoy without incurring the immense debtorship for a thing done. Malachias, overcome by emotion, ceased. The mystery was unveiled. Haynes was the third brother. His real name was Childs. The Black Panther was himself the ghost of his own father. He drank drugs to obliterate. For this relief, much thanks. The lonely house by the graveyard is uninhabited. No soul will live there. The spider pitches her web in the solitude. The nocturnal rat peers from his hole. A curse is on it. It is haunted. Murderer's ground. What is the age of the soul of man? As she hath the virtue of the chameleon to change her hue at every new approach, to be gay with the merry and mournful with the downcast, so too is her age changeable as her mood. No longer is Leopold, as he sits there, ruminating, chewing the cud of reminiscence, that staid agent of publicity and holder of a modest substance and funds. A score of years are blown away. He is young, Leopold. There, as in a retrospective arrangement, a mirror within a mirror, hey, presto, he beholdeth himself. That young figure of then is seen, precociously manly, walking on a nipping morning from the old house in Clanbrassel Street to the high school, his book satchel on him bandolier-wise, and in it a goodly hunk of wheaten loaf, a mother's thought. Or it is that same figure, a year or so gone over, in his first hard hat, ah, that was a day, already on the road, a full-fledged traveler for the family firm, equipped with an order book, a scented handkerchief, not for show only, his case of bright trinket wear, alas, a thing now of the past, and a quiverful of compliant smiles for this or that half-one housewife, reckoning it out upon her fingertips, or for a budding virgin, shyly acknowledging, but the heart, tell me, his studied basemorns. The scent, the smile, but more than these, the dark eyes, and oligenious address, brought home at duskfall many a commission to the head of the firm, seated with Jacob's pipe after like labors in the paternal ingle. A meal of noodles, you may be sure, is a heating. Reading through round horn spectacles some paper from the Europe of a month before. But hey, presto, the mirror is breathed on, and the young knighterant recedes, shrivels, dwindles to a tiny speck within the mist. Now he is himself paternal, and these about him might be his sons. Who can say? The wise father knows his own child. He thinks of a drizzling night in Hatch Street, hard by the bonded shores there, the first. Together, she a poor waif, a child of shame, yours and mine, and of all for a bare shilling and her luck penny. 
Together they hear the heavy tread of the watch as two rain-caped shadows pass the new royal university. Bridie! Bridie Kelly! He will never forget the name, ever remember the night, the first night, the bride night. They are entwined in nethermost darkness, the willer with the willed, and in an instant, fiat, light shall flood the world. Did heart leap to heart? Nay, fair reader. In a breath t'was done, but hold, back, it must not be. In terror the poor girl flees away through the murk. She is the bride of darkness, a daughter of night. She dare not bear the sunny golden babe of day. No, Leopold, name in memory solace thee not. That youthful illusion of thy strength was taken from thee, and in vain. No son of thy loins is by thee. There is none now to be for Leopold what Leopold was for Rudolph. The voices blend and fuse in clouded silence, silence that is the infinite of space, and swiftly, silently, the soul is wafted over regions of cycles of generations that have lived, a region where gray twilight ever descends, never falls on wide sage-green pasture fields, shedding her dusk, scattering a perennial dew of stars. She follows her mother with ungainly steps, a mare leading her fillyful. Twilight phantoms are they, yet molded in prophetic grace of structure, slim, shapely haunches, a supple, tendinous neck, the meek, apprehensive skull. They fade, sad phantoms. All is gone. Agendath is a wasteland, a home of screech owls and the sand-blind Upupa. Netaim, the golden, is no more. And on the highway of the clouds they come, muttering thunder of rebellion, the ghosts of beasts. Ho! Hark! Ho! Parallax stalks behind and goads them, the lancinating lightnings of whose brow are scorpions. Elk and Yak, the bulls of Bashan and of Babylon, Mammoth and Mastodon, they come trooping to the sunken sea, Lacus Mortis. Ominous, revengeful, zodiacal host, they moan, passing upon the clouds, horned and capricorned, the trumpeted with the tusked, the lion-maned, the giant-antlered, snouter and crawler, rodent, ruminant and pachyderm, all their moving, moaning multitude, murderers of the sun. Onward to the Dead Sea they tramp to drink, unslaked and with horrible gulpings, the salt, somnolent, inexhaustible flood. And the equine portent grows again, magnified in the deserted heavens, nay, to heaven's own magnitude, till it looms vast over the house of Virgo. And lo, wonder of metempsychosis, it is she, the everlasting bride, harbinger of the day-star, the bride, ever-virgin. It is she, Martha, thou lost one, Millicent, the young, the dear, the radiant. How serene does she now arise, a queen among the Pleiades, in the penultimate Antilucan hour, shod in sandals of bright gold, quaffed with a veil of, what do you call it, gossamer. It floats, it flows about her starborn flesh and lucid streams, emerald, sapphire, mauve, and heliotrope, sustained on currents of the cold interstellar wind, winding, coiling, simply swirling, writhing in the skies, a mysterious writing, till, after a myriad metamorphosis of symbol, it blazes, alpha, a ruby and triangled sign upon the forehead of Taurus. Francis was reminding Stephen of years before when they had been at school together in Conmi's time. He asked about Glaucon, Alcibiades, Pisistratus. Where were they now? Neither knew. You have spoken of the past and its phantoms, Stephen said. Why think of them? 
If I call them into life across the waters of Leith, will not the poor ghosts troop to my call? Who supposes it? I, Baus Stephen Ominos, bullock-befriending bard, am lord and giver of their life. He encircled his gadding hair with a coronal of vine leaves, smiling at Vincent. That answer and those leaves, Vincent said to him, will adorn you more fitly when something more, and greatly more, than a cap full of light odes can call your genius father. All who wish you well hope this for you. All desire to see you bring forth the work you mediate, to acclaim you Stephaniforos. I heartily wish you may not fail them. Oh no, Vincent Lenahan said, laying a hand on the shoulder near him. Have no fear. He could not leave his mother an orphan. The young man's face grew dark. All could see how hard it was for him to be reminded of his promise and of his recent loss. He would have withdrawn from the feast had not the noise of voices allayed the smart. Madden had lost five drachmas on scepter for a whim of the rider's name. Lenahan as much more. He told them of the race. The flag fell and ho! Off scamper! The mare ran out freshly with O Madden up. She was leading the field. All hearts were beating. Even Phyllis could not contain herself. She waved her scarf and cried, Huzzah! Scepter wins! But in the straight on the run home, when all were in close order, the dark horse throwaway drew level, reached, outstripped her. All was lost now. Phyllis was silent. Her eyes were sad and anemones. Juno, she cried, I am undone. But her lover consoled her, and brought her a bright casket of gold in which lay some oval sugar plums, which she partook. A tear fell, one only. A whacking fine whip, said Lenahan, is W. Lane. Four winners yesterday and three today. What rider is like him? Mount him on the camel or the boisterous buffalo. The victory in a hack canter is still his. But let us bear it as was the ancient wont. Mercy on the luckless. Poor scepter, he said with a light sigh. She's not the filly that she was. Never by this hand shall we behold such another. By gad, sir, a queen of them. Do you remember her, Vincent? I wish you could have seen my queen today, Vincent said. How young she was and radiant. The lodge were scarce fair beside her in her yellow shoes and frock of muslin, I do not know the right name of it. The chestnuts that shaded us were in bloom, the air drooped with their persuasive odor and with pollen floating by us. In the sunny patches one might easily have cooked on a stone a batch of those buns with Corinth fruit in them that Perilipomenes sells in his booth near the bridge. But she had naught for her teeth but the arm with which I held her, and in that she nibbled mischievously when I pressed too close. A week ago she lay ill, four days on the couch, but today she was free, blithe, mocked at peril. She is more taking, then. Her posy's tool, mad romp that she is, she had pulled her fill as we reclined together. And in your ear, my friend, you will not think who met us as we left the field. Conmee himself. He was walking by the hedge, reading, I think a brevier book with, I doubt not, a witty letter in it from Glycera or Chloe to keep the page. The sweet creature turned all colors in her confusion, feigning to reprove a slight disorder in her dress. A slip of underwood clung there, for the very trees adore her. When Conmee had passed, she glanced at her lovely echo in that little mirror she carries. But he had been kind, and going by he had blessed us. The gods, too, are ever kind, Lenahan said. If I had poor luck with Bass's mare, perhaps this draft of his may serve me more propensely. He was laying his hand upon a wine-jar. Malachi saw it and withheld his act, pointing to the stranger and to the scarlet label. Warily, Malachi whispered, preserve a druid silence. His soul is far away. It is as painful, perhaps, to be awakened from a vision as to be born. Any object, intensely regarded, may be a gate of access to the incorruptible eon of the gods. Do you not think it, Stephen? 
Theosophus told me so, Stephen answered, whom in a previous existence Egyptian priests initiated into the mysteries of karmic law. The lords of the moon, Theosophus told me, an orange fiery shipload from planet Alpha of the lunar chain would not assume the etheric doubles, and these were therefore incarnated by the ruby-colored egos from the second constellation. However, as a matter of fact, though, the preposterous surmise about him being in some description of a doldrums or other, or mesmerized, which was entirely due to a misconception of the shallowest character, was not the case at all. The individual whose visual organs, while the above was going on, were at this juncture commencing to exhibit symptoms of animation, was an astute, if not astuter than any man living, and anybody that conjectured the contrary, would have found themselves pretty speedily in the wrong shop. During the past four minutes, or thereabouts, he had been staring hard at a certain amount of number one bass bottled by Messrs. Bass & Co. at Burton-on-Trent, which happened to be situated amongst a lot of others, right opposite to where he was, and which was certainly calculated to attract anyone's remark on account of its scarlet appearance. He was simply and solely, as it subsequently transpired for reasons best known to himself, which put quite an altogether different complexion on the proceedings, after the moment before his observations about boyhood days and the turf, re recollecting two or three private transactions of his own, which the other two were as mutually innocent of as the babe unborn. Eventually, however, both their eyes met, and as soon as it began to dawn on him that the other was endeavoring to help himself to the thing he involuntarily determined to help him himself, and so he accordingly took hold of the neck of the medium-sized glass recipient which contained the fluid sought after, and made a capacious hole in it by pouring a lot of it out with, also at the same time, however, a considerable degree of attentiveness in order not to upset any of the beer that was in it about the place. The debate which ensued was in its scope and progress an epitome of the course of life. Neither place nor council was lacking in dignity. The debaters were the keenest in the land, the theme they were engaged on the loftiest and most vital. The high hall of Horn's house had never beheld an assembly so representative and so varied, nor had the old rafters of that establishment ever listened to a language so encyclopedic. A gallant scene, in truth, it made. Crothers was there at the foot of the table in his striking highland garb, his face glowing from the briny airs of the mull of Galloway. There, too, opposite to him, was Lynch, whose countenance bore already the stigmata of early depravity and premature wisdom. Next the Scotchman was the place assigned to Costello, the eccentric, while at his side was seated in stolid repose the squat form of Madden. The chair of the resident, indeed, stood vacant before the hearth, but on either flank of it the figure of Bannon's and Explorer's kit of tweed shorts and salted cowhide brogues contrasted sharply with the primrose elegance and town-bred manners of Malachi Roland St. John Mulligan. Lastly, at the head of the board was the young poet, who found a refuge from his labors of pedagogy and metaphysical inquisition in the convivial atmosphere of Socratic discussion. While to right and left of him were accommodated the flippant prognosticator, fresh from the hippodrome, and that vigilant wanderer, soiled by the dust of travel and combat, and stained by the mire of an indelible dishonor, but from whose steadfast and constant heart no lure or peril or threat or degradation could ever efface the image of that voluptuous loveliness which the inspired pencil of Lafayette has limned for ages yet to come. It had better be stated here and now, at the outset, that the perverted transcendentalism to which Mr. S. Dedalus's give sep, contentions would appear to prove him pretty badly addicted runs directly counter to accepted scientific methods. Science, it cannot be too often repeated, deals with tangible phenomena. 
The man of science, like the man in the street, has to face hard-headed facts that cannot be blinked and explain them as best he can. There may be, it is true, some questions which science cannot answer, at present, such as the first problem submitted by Mr. L. Bloom, pub can, regarding the future determination of sex. Must we accept the view of Empedocles of Trinacria that the right ovary, the postmenstrual period, assert others, is responsible for the birth of males, or are the two long-neglected spermatozoa, or nemosperms, the differentiating factors, or is it, as most embryologists incline to opine, such as Culpepper, Spallanzani, Blumenbach, Lusk, Hertwig, Leopold, and Valenti, a mixture of both? This would be tantamount to cooperation, one of nature's favorite devices, between the nisus formativus of the nemosperm on the one hand, and on the other a happily chosen position, succubitus felix of the passive element. The other problem raised by the same inquirer is scarcely less vital, infant mortality. It is interesting because, as he pertinently remarks, we are all born in the same way, but we all die in different ways. Mr. M. Mulligan, Hige a huge doc, blames the sanitary conditions in which our gray-lunged citizens contract adenoids, pulmonary complaints, etc., by inhaling the bacteria which lurk in dust. These factors, he alleged, and the revolting spectacles offered by our streets, hideous publicity posters, religious ministers of all denominations, mutilated soldiers and sailors, exposed scorbutic car drivers, the suspended carcasses of dead animals, paranoic bachelors, and unfructified duenas. These, he said, were countable for any and every falling off in the caliber of the race. Calipedia, he prophesied, would soon be generally adopted, and all the graces of life, genuinely good music, agreeable literature, light philosophy, instructive pictures, plaster-cast reproductions of the classical statues such as Venus and Apollo, artistic colored photographs of prize babies, all these little attentions would enable ladies who were in a particular condition to pass the intervening months in a most enjoyable manner. Mr. J. Crothers, disc back, attribute some of these demises to abdominal trauma in the case of women workers subjected to heavy labors in the workshop and to marital discipline in the home, but by far the vast majority to neglect, private or official, culminating in the exposure of newborn infants, the practice of criminal abortion, or in the atrocious crime of infanticide. Although the former, we are thinking of neglect, is undoubtedly only too true, the case he cites of nurses forgetting to count the sponges in the peritoneal cavity is too rare to be normative. In fact, when one comes to look into it, the wonder is that so many pregnancies and deliveries go off so well as they do, all things considered, and in spite of our human shortcomings, which often balk nature in her intentions. An ingenious suggestion is that thrown out by Mr. V. Lynch, back Arith, that both natality and mortality, as well as all other phenomena of evolution, tidal movements, lunar phases, blood temperatures, diseases in general, Everything, in fine, in nature's vast workshop from the extinction of some remote sun to the blossoming of one of the countless flowers which beautify our public parks, is subject to a law of numeration as yet unascertained. Still, the plain straightforward question why a child of normally healthy parents, and seemingly a healthy child, and properly looked after, succumbs unaccountably in early childhood, though other children of the same marriage do not, must certainly, in the poet's words, give us pause. Nature, may we rest assured, has her own good and cogent reasons for whatever she does, and in all probability such deaths are due to some law of anticipation, by which organisms in which morbus germs have taken up their residence, 
modern science has conclusively shown that only the plasmic substance can be said to be immortal, tend to disappear at an increasingly earlier stage of development, an arrangement which, though productive of pain to some of our feelings, notably the maternal, is nevertheless, some of us think, in the long run beneficial to the race in general in securing thereby the survival of the fittest. Mr. S. Dedalus, div sep, remark, or should it be called an interruption, that an omnivorous being which can masticate, deglute, digest, and apparently pass through the ordinary channel with pluto-perfect imperturbability, such multiferous elements as cancrenous females emaciated by parturition, corpulent professional gentlemen, not to speak of jaundiced politicians and chlorotic nuns, might possibly find gastric relief in an innocent collation of staggering bob, reveals as naught else could, and in a very unsavory light, the tendency above alluded to. For the enlightenment of those who are not so intimately acquainted with the minutiae of the municipal abattoir as this morbid-minded esthete, an embryo philosopher, who for all his overweening bumptiousness in things scientific can scarcely distinguish an acid from an alkali, prides himself on being, it should perhaps be stated that staggering Bob in the vile parlance of our lower class, licensed victuallers signifies the cookable and eatable flesh of a calf newly dropped from its mother. In a recent public controversy with Mr. L. Bloom, pub can, which took place in the Commons Hall of the National Maternity Hospital, 29, 30, and 31 Hollis Street, of which, as is well known, Dr. A. Horn, Lysin Midwif, FKQCPI, is the able and popular master. He is reported by eyewitnesses as having stated that once a woman has let the cat into the bag, an esthete's allusion, presumably, to one of the most complicated and marvelous of all nature's processes, the act of sexual congress. She must let it out again, or give it life, as he phrased it, to save her own. At the risk of her own was the telling rejoinder of his interlocutor, nonetheless effective for the moderate and measured tone in which it was delivered. Meanwhile, the skill and patience of the physician had brought about a happy accouchement. It had been a weary, weary while for both the patient and doctor. All that surgical skill could do was done, and the brave woman had manfully helped. She had. She had fought the good fight, and now she was very, very happy. Those who have passed on, who have gone before, are happy too, as they gaze down and smile upon the touching scene. Reverently look at her as she reclines there with the mother light in her eyes, that longing hunger for baby fingers, pretty sight it is to see, in the first bloom of her new motherhood, breathing a silent prayer of thanksgiving to one above, the universal husband. And as her loving eyes behold her babe, she wishes only one blessing more, to have her dear Dodie with her to share her joy, to lay in his arms that might of God's clay, the fruit of their lawful embraces. He is older now, you and I may whisper it, and a trifle stooped in the shoulders, yet in the whirligig of years a grave dignity has come to the conscientious second accountant of the Ulster Bank, College Green Branch. Oh, Dodie, loved one of old, faithful life-mate now, it may never be again that far-off time of the roses. With the old shake of her pretty head she recalls those days, God, how beautiful now across the mist of years. But their children are grouped in her imagination about the bedside, hers and his, Charlie, Mary Alice, Frederick Albert, if he had lived, Mamie, Budgie, Victoria Francis, Tom, Violet Constance Louisa, darling little Bobsy, called after our famous hero of the South African War, Lord Bobs of Waterford and Kandahar. And now this last pledge of their union, a pure foy if ever there was one, with the true Purefoy nose. Young Hopeful will be christened Mortimer Edward, after the influential cousin of Mr. Purefoy in the Treasury Remembrancer's office, Dublin Castle, 
and so time wags on. But Father Cronian has dealt lightly here. No, let no sigh break from that bosom, dear gentle Mina. And, Doty, knock the ashes from your pipe, the seasoned briar you still fancy when the curfew rings for you. May it be the distant day. And doubt the light whereby you read in the sacred book, for the oil, too, has run low. And so with a tranquil heart to bed, to rest. He knows, and will call in his own good time. You, too, have fought the good fight, and played loyally your man's part. Sir, to you my hand. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. There are sins, or, let us call them as the world calls them, evil memories, which are hidden away by man in the darkest places of the heart, but they abide there and wait. He may suffer their memory to grow dim, let them be as though they had not been, and all but persuade himself that they were not, or at least were otherwise. Yet a chance word will call them forth suddenly, and they will rise up to confront him in the most various circumstances, a vision or a dream, or while timbrel and harp soothe his senses, or amid the cool silver tranquillity of the evening, or at the feast, at midnight, when he is now filled with wine. Not to insult over him will the vision come, as over one that lies under her wrath, not for vengeance to cut him off from the living, but shrouded in the piteous vesture of the past, silent, remote, reproachful. That stranger still regarded on the face before him a slow recession of that false calm there, imposed, as it seemed, by habit or some studied trick, upon words so embittered as to accuse in their speaker an unhealthiness, a flare, for the cruder things of life. A scene disengages itself in the observer's memory, evoked, it would seem, by a word of so natural a homeliness as if those days were really present there, as some thought, with their immediate pleasures. A shaven space of lawn one soft May evening, the well-remembered grove of lilacs at Roundtown, purple and white, fragrant, slender spectators of the game, but with much real interest in the pellets as they run slowly forward over the sward, or collide and stop, one by its fellow, with a brief alert shock. And yonder about that gray urn where the water moves at times in thoughtful irrigation, you saw another as fragrant sisterhood, flowy, eddy, tiny, and their darker friend, with I know not what of arresting in her pose then, our Lady of the Cherries, a comely brace of them pendant from an ear, bringing out the foreign warmth of the skin so daintily against the cool, ardent fruit. A lad of four or five in linsey-woolsey, blossom time, but there will be cheer in the kindly hearth when ere long the bowls are gathered and hutched, is standing on the urn secured by that circle of girlish fond hands. He frowns a little, just as this young man does now, with a perhaps too conscious enjoyment of the danger, but must needs glance at whilst towards where his mother watches from the piazzetta, giving upon the flower close with a faint shadow of remoteness, or of reproach, alles verganguiche, in her glad look. Mark this, father, and remember, the end comes suddenly. Enter that antechamber of birth where the studious are assembled and note their faces. Nothing, as it seems, there of rash or violent. Quietude of custody, rather, befitting their station in that house, the vigilant watch of shepherds and of angels about a crib in Bethlehem of Judah long ago. But as before, the lightning, the serried storm-clouds, heavy with preponderant excess of moisture, in swollen masses, turgidly distended, compass earth and sky in one vast slumber, impending above parched field and drowsy oxen and blighted growth of shrub and verdure, till in an instant the flash rives their centers and with the reverberation of the thunder the cloudburst pours its torrent. So, and not otherwise, was the transformation, violent and instantaneous, upon the utterance of the word. Burks, outflings my lord Stephen, giving the cry, 
and a tag and bobtail of them all after, cockerel, jackanapes, welsher, pill doctor, punctual bloom at heels with a universal grabbing at headgear, ash plants, bilbos, panama hats and scabbards, zermet alpenstocks and whatnot. A dedal of lusty youth, noble every student there. Nurse Callan takes aback in the hallway, cannot stay them, nor smiling surgeon coming downstairs with the news of placentation ended, a full pound if a milligram. They hark him on. The door, is it open? Ha, they are out, tumultuously, off for a minute's race, all bravely legging it. Burks of Denzil and Hollis, their ulterior goal. Dixon follows, giving them sharp language, but raps out an oath, he too, and on. Bloom stays with nurse a thought to send a kind word to happy mother and nursling up there. Dr. Diet and Dr. Quiet. Looks she too not other now? Ward of watching in Horn's house has told its tale in that washed-out pallor. Then, all being gone, a glance of mother wit helping, he whispers close and going, Madam, when comes the stork bird for thee? The air without is impregnated with rain-dew moisture, life essence celestial, glistening on Dublin stone there under star-shiny coelum. God's air, the All-Father's air, scintillant, circumnambient, sessile air, breathe it deep into thee. By heaven, Theodore Purefoy, thou hast done a doughty deed and no botch. Thou art, I vow, the remarkablest progenitor barring none in this chaffering, all-including, most ferruginous chronicle. Astounding! In her lay a God-framed, God-given, preformed possibility which thou hast fructified with thy modicum of man's work. Cleave to her, serve, toil on, labor like a very bandog, and let scholarment and all Malthusiasts go hang. Thou art all their daddies, Theodore art drooping under thy load, bemoiled with butcher's bills at home and ingots, not thine, in the counting-house? Head up, for every new-begotten thou shalt gather in thy homer of ripe wheat. See, thy fleece is drenched. Dost envy Darby Dullman there with his Joan? A canting jay and rheumied cur-dog is all their progeny. Shaw, I tell thee, he is a mule, a dead gastropod, without vim or stamina, not worth a cracked kreutzer. Copulation without population? No, say I. Herod's slaughter of the innocents were the truer name. Vegetables, forsooth, and sterile cohabitation. Give her beefsteaks, red, raw, and bleeding. She is a hoary pandemonium of ills, enlarged glands, mumps, quinsy, bunions, hay fever, bed sores, ringworm, floating kidney, derbyshire neck, warts, bilious attacks, gallstones, cold feet, varicose veins. A truce to threens and trentals and jeremies and all such congenital defunctive music. Twenty years of it regret them not. With thee it was not as with many that will and would and wait and never do. Thou sawst thy America, thy life-task, and didst charge to cover the transpontine bison. How saith Zarathustra? Deine kutrupsal melkest du, nun trinkest du die susimilch des uters. See, it displodes for thee in abundance. Drink, man, in utterful. Mother's milk, pure foy, the milk of human kin. Milk, too, of those burgeoning stars overhead rudolent in thin rain vapor, punch milk, such as those rioters will quaff in their guzzling den. Milk of madness, the honey milk of Canaan's land. Thy cow's dug was tough, what? Ay, but her milk is hot and sweet and fattening. No doll of this but thick, rich bonny clabber. To her, old patriarch, pap. For dam partulam et pretundam nunc est bibindum. All off for a buster, Armstrong, hollering down the street. Bonafides. Where you slept last night? Timothy of the battered nagin. Like all ye bilio. Any brawlies or gumboots in the fambly? Where the Henry Neville sawbones and oliclo? Sora one aminos. Hurrah there, dicks! Forward to the ribbon counter. Where's Punch? All serene. Jay, look at the drunken minister coming out of the maternity hospital. 
Benedicat vos omnipotens Deus, pater et filius. A make, mister, the Denzil Lane boys. Hell, blast ye, scoot. Right, o oh, Isaacs, shove em out of the bleeding limelight. Yous join us, dear sir? No intrusion in life. Low heap good man. Ali Samiris bunch. En avant, mes enfants. Fire away number one on the gun. Burks! Burks! Thence they advanced five parasangs. Slattery's mountain foot. Where's that bleeding offer? Parson Steve, apostate's creed. No, no, Mulligan, abaft there, shove ahead. Keep a watch on the clock, chucking out time. Molly, what's on you? Ma mère, ma mariée. British beatitudes, retemplatan, digidi, boom, boom. Eyes have it. To be printed and bound at the Drury drum breast by two designing females. Calf covers of piston green. Last word in art shades. Most beautiful book come out of Ireland, my time. Silencium. Get a spurt on. Tension. Proceed to the nearest canteen and there annex liquor stores. March. Tramp, 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 the boys are. Attitudes, parching. Beer, beef, business, Bibles, bulldogs, battleships, buggery, and bishops. Weather on the scaffold high. Beer, beef, trample the Bibles. When for Ireland, dear. Trample the tramplers. Thunderation. Keep the derned military step. We fall. Bishop's boost box. Halt. Heave to. Rugger. Scrum in. No touch kicking. Wow, my tootsies. You hurt? Most amazingly sorry. Query. Who's a-standing this here do? Proud possessor of a damnal. Declare misery. Bet to the ropes. Me nanty salty. Not a red at me this week gone. Yours? Meat of our fathers for the ubermensch. Ditto. Five number ones. You, sir? Ginger cordial. Chase me, the cabbie's caudal. Stimulate the caloric. Winding of his ticker. Stopped short never to go again when the old. Absinthe for me, savvy? Caramba! Have an eggnog or a prairie oyster. Enemy? Avuncular's got my timepiece. Ten two. Obligated awful. Don't mention it. Got a pectoral trauma, eh, Dix? Pause fact. Got bet to be a bumblebee whenever he was set and sleep in an esbit garden. Digs up near the mater. Buckled he is. Know his dona? Yep, certain I do. Full of a dur. Sear into her dishy-billy. Peels off a credit. Lovey lovekin. None of your lean kind, not much. Pull down the blind, love. Two artelons. And same here. Look slippery. If you fall, don't wait to get up. Five, seven, nine. Fine. Got a prime pair of mince pies. No kid. And her take me to rests in her anchor of rum. Must be seen to be believed. Your starving eyes and all the plastered neck, you stole my heart, O oh gluepot. Sir? Spud against the rheumatiz? All oh, poppycock, you'll excuse me saying, for the hoy polloi. I veer thee beast a gert vool. Well, Doc, back for Lapland? Your corporosity sagatiating okay? How's the squaws and papooses? Woman body after going on the straw? Stand and deliver. Password. There's hair. Ours the white death and the ruddy birth. Hi, spit in your own eye, boss. Mummer's wire. Cribbed out of Meredith. Jessified, orchidized, polysemical Jesuit. Auntie Mine's writing Pa Kinch. Batty bad Stephen led astray goody good Malachi. Hooroo! Collar the leather, young'un. Rune with a nappy. Here, Jock Broy Highland mends your barley brie. Lang may your lum reek and your kale pot boil. My tipple? Merci. Here's to us. How's that? Leg before wicket? Don't stain my brand new sittinums. Gives a shake of pepper, you there. Catch a holt. Caraway seed to carry away. Twig? Shrieks of silence. Every cove to his gentry mort. Venus Pandemos. Les petites femmes. Bold bad girl from the town of Mullingar. Tell her I was axing at her. Hotting Sarah by the whim. On the road to Malahide. Me? 
If she who seduced me had left but the name, what do you want for ninepence? Makri, Makruskin, smutty mole for a mattress jig, and a pull altogether. X. Waiting, governor? Most deciduously. Bet your boots on. Stunned like, seeing as how no shiners is a coming. Undercom stumble? He've got us the chink, ad lib. Seed near free poon on and spell ago, I said warizen. Us come right in on your invite, see? Up to you, matey. Out with the oof. Two bar and a wing. You larn that go off of they there Frenchy bilks. Won't wash here for nuts, nohow. Will child velly solly. Is it a cutest color coon down our side? God's to Ruth, Charlie. We are nay foul. We're nay tha foul. Au reservoir, Masu. Thanks you. Tis, sure, what say? In the speakeasy. Tight. I she you, sure. Bannum, two days tea tea. Bowsing not but claret wine. Garn, have a glint, do. Come, I'm jiggered. And been to barber he have, too full for words, with a railway bloke. How come you so? Opera he'd like? Rose of Castile. Rose of Cast. Police! Some H2O for a gent fainted. Look at Bantam's flowers. Gemini. He's gonna holler. The Colleen Bon. The Colleen Bon. Oh, cheese it. Shut his blurry Dutch oven with a firm hand. Had the winner today till I tipped him a dead cert. The rough and clive and nab of Stephen hand has give me the J.D. Coppoline. He strike a telegram boy, baddock wire, big bug bass to the depot. Shove him a joey and cram eyes. Mare on form hot order. Guinea to a goose gog. Tell a cram that. Gospel true. Criminal diversion? I think that, yes. Sure thing. Land him in choky-choky if the Harmon Beck cop the game. Madden back? Madden's a maddening back. Oh, lust our refuge and our strength. Decamping. Must you go? Off to Mammy. Stand by. Hide my blushes, someone. All in if he spots me. Come home, our bantam. Harivar, mong view. Dinner forgot the cowslips for herself. Cornfied. What give you thun colt? Pal to pal. Janak. Of John Thomas, her spouse. No fake, old man Leo. Selt me, honest injun. Shiver my timbers if I had. There's a great big holy friar. Vy for you no me tell. Vel, I says, if that ain't a sheeny notches, vel, I will get mishna mishina. Though yerd our lord, amen. You move a motion? Steve, boy, you're going at some. More bluggy drunkables? Will immensely splendiferous stander permit one studer of most extreme poverty and one large-sized grandacious thirst to terminate one expensive inaugurated libation? Gives a breather. Landlord, landlord, have you good wine, Stabu? Hoots, man, a wee drop to pre. Cut and come again. Right. Boniface. Absinthe a lot. Nos omnes bibiriamus viridum toxicum diabolus capiat posteriora nostria. Closing time, gents. Eh? Rome boost for the bloom toff. I hear you say onions? Blue? Cadges adds. Photos poply by all that's gorgeous. Play low, partner. Slide. Bonsoir, la compagnie. And snares of the pox fiend. Where's the buck and namby-amby? Skunked? Like bail. Ah, weel. Yamanin gang your gates. Checkmate. King to tower. Kind Christiane, will you help young man whose friend took bungalow key to find place where to lay crown of his head tonight? Crikey, I'm about sprung. Tarnally doggone my shins if this beant the bestest, puttiest long break yet. Item, curate, couple of cookies for this child. Cots, plud, and prandy pals, none. Not a pint of sheeses? Thrust syphilis down to hell and with him those other licensed spirits. Time, gents, who wander through the world. Health all, à la vôtre. Golly, Watton Tunkett's yon guy in the Macintosh. Dusty roads. Peep at his wearables. 
By mighty, what's he got? Jubilee mutton. Boverell by James wants it real bad. Do you can bear socks? Seedy cuss in the Richmond? Rather! Thought he had a deposit of lead in his penis. Trumpery insanity. Bartle the bread, we calls him. That, sir, was once a prosperous sit. Man all tattered and torn that married a maiden all forlorn. Slung her hook, she did. Here see lost love. Walking Macintosh of Lonely Canyon. Tuck and turn in. Schedule time. Nix for the hornies. Pardon? Seen him today at a runafall? Chum yourn passed in his checks? Lot of massy. Poor pickaninnies. There'll no be telling me that, pulled veg. Didum's blubble big splash cry tears cost friend Padney was took off in black bag? Of all de darkies, Massa Pat was vera best. I never see the like since I was born. Tian, tian, but it is well sad that, my faith, yes. Oh, get, rev on a gradient one in nine. Live axle drives are souped. Lay you two to one, Janatsi licks him ruddy well hollow. Jappies? High angle fire in ya, sunk by war specials. Be worse for him, says he, nor any Russian. Time all, there's eleven of them. Get you gone. Forward, woozy wobblers. Night, night. May Allah, the excellent one, your soul this night ever tremendously conserve. Your attention, were nay that foul, the leith police dismisseth us. The least the least. Wear hawks for the chap puking, unwell in his own abominable regions. Blugh, night. Mona, my true love. Blugh, Mona, my own love. Oh, hark. Shut your obstropolis. <laughs> Blaze on. There she goes. Brigade, bout ship. Mount Streetway, cut up. <laughs> Tally-ho, you not come? Run, Skelter, race. <laughs> Lynch, hey, sign on long of me. Denzel Lane this way. Change here for the body house. We too, she said, will seek the kips where Shady Mary is. Right-o, any old time. Late buntur in Cubilibus Suis. You coming long? Whisper, who the sooty hell's the Johnny and the Black Duds? Hush! Sinned against the light, and even now the day is at hand when he shall come to judge the world by fire. <laughs> Ut implorentur scripturae. Strike up a ballad. Then outspake Medical Dick to his comrade Medical Davy. Christical! Who's this excrement yellow gospeler on the Marian Hall? Elijah is coming, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Come on, you wine-fizzling, gin-sizzling, boost-guzzling existences! Come on, you doggone, bull-necked, beetle-browed, hog-jowled, peanut-brained, weasel-eyed four-flushers, false alarms, and excess baggage. Come on, you triple extract of infamy. Alexander J. Christ Dowie, that's my name, that's yanked to glory most half this planet from Frisco Beach to Vladivostok. The deity ain't no nickel-dime bum show. I put it to you that he's on the square in a corking fine business proposition. He's the grandest thing yet, and don't you forget it. Shout salvation in King Jesus! You'll need to rise press early, you sinner there, if you want to diddle the almighty God. <laughs> Not half. He's got a cough mixture with a punch in it for you, my friend, in his back pocket. Just you try it on. End of chapter 14